Hey there, everybody in Serial Killer Country. My name is Brittany Ransom. And my name is Brian Joyner. And this is When Killers Got Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week, we'll discuss something new and interesting in the serial killer world. Then we'll discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer and go deep into their childhood, lives, methodology, and most importantly, how they got caught. And then, because most serial killer fans love to be a little bit spooked, Brian will lead us down the road of the paranormal or just something that he found particularly creepy. So this week, what we were talking about is what everybody online is talking about, which is the Richard Ramirez Catching the Night Stalker documentary. And uh, I've now seen two separate articles. Yes, two separate articles. About saying that the Netflix went too far. With the documentary and showing different things and showing crime scene photos and things of that nature. And as of right now, you and I have watched three parts and we intend to finish the next part. Tonight. Yeah. Let's, so I didn't particularly find it all that. I'd say I, like, I can see why some people said that they took it too far, but I, it's not a lot. It's. Yeah, people were saying, like, even hardened true crime fans found it to be too much. I mean, it was creepy. And there are things that I learned about Richard Ramirez that I didn't mm-hmm. know. I knew that he had, you know, harmed some older people and some younger, you know, children. But I didn't know it was that bad. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't know that he was. I, th- I think, like, the, the main concern was about the crime scene photos. But they got, I mean, the family was in the videos. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were in the, the TV show. Yeah. And so they approved of those things being shown. Um, Actually, personally, I've been having a great time looking at Twitter feed for just Night Stalker because some people are just hilarious. I mean, one, everyone's posting the pictures of the crime scene, like drawings. Mm -hmm. What are those called? The uh, talking about the the outlines, the pictures you don't like. Oh. The composite. Yes, everyone's talking about how the composite drawing looked absolutely nothing like Richard Ramirez. And like, there's hundreds upon hundreds of tweets that just go, no wonder they couldn't find this guy. And uh, Nobody that looks like that exists on this plane of existence. You know, maybe he was just a little skinnier when they, they made that picture. He did have kind of a gaunt looking face. It's kind of gross. Okay. Yeah, you see his picture on this thing that you're looking at right here. And you see... Like the, the like the composite is just no like his his face is just extra longer than it actually should be, and I don't know people. I mean, it's a it's a composite sketch, so you know it's not like it's accurate. Of course, some of them are, some of them. Also, one of the best quotes is from a woman who, in the beginning of the documentary, she mentions that she was at a thrift store, and she happened to see him and. Yes. He picked up this ACDC hat and he put it on and he he bought it and he laughed. And then she got in her car and all of a sudden she sees this guy like speeding behind her and she looks and it's him again. And she just is like, he was just a creepy looking dude. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the documentary is like, he had this kind of animalistic magnetism and charisma that women just found attractive. And then there's that lady with her adorable heart shaped glasses who just goes, well, I'm sorry, but I think they're the dumbest blanks ever. And just, I'm with you, lady. I agree. <laughs> he he was not her cup of tea. Yeah, she was like, I don't understand what they were interested in. I'm I'm sorry, lady. It's got a name. We talked about it last week. You did. It's weird. 
that people find like i mean this is a guy who sexually assaulted like several dozen people half of them being children he murdered another like dozen people there's just nothing good about him and uh a a couple tweets i found really interesting were people who were talking about growing up in la when it happened Mm. and that they were kids and their parents were trying to tell them like hey make sure you lock your windows at night do this and like the one person was just like I didn't give a damn. It was hot. I left my window open. And then they're like, oh, after watching this documentary, I didn't realize that a woman died from the Night Stalker a block away from where I was, where I was living. They actually, this particular person on Twitter said that they moved because of the Night Stalker. Like they moved out of LA. I mean, that makes sense. Like, go away. Like, did they move a state over or? They didn't say in, in total, but I understand. Yeah, just out of that area, just because he was targeting that one area and he went up to was it san francisco he was san diego i think or san francisco one of the two we are really bad i'm pretty sure san francisco it might be san francisco (laughs) Um, but it i will say this for anyone who's listening it's a really good documentary i have not always been a fan of all the documentaries that netflix has written or not written but produced about serial killers but this one was done very well i really liked the perspective of the people who were trying to catch him, learning about the two police officers. Also learning that the LAPD was actually doing what they were supposed to do as police. They're doing a great job. Unlike in the 70s when people were trying to get Bundy and just failing miserably. Uh, I just don't like reporters. Oh, yeah. A lot of people are really mad at Laurel Erickson. Uh, I saw a lot of angry tweets about, like, you were going to mess up these people's ability to get... Like, why mess up the case just so you can get, some, like, a few more minutes of airtime? I mean... Also, Mayor Feinstein. People are um, yes. heated about her because he stopped wearing the shoes when she mentioned the shoes on the news. So that was the one link that they had consistently the entire case. Uh, yeah, the shoes and she and wrecked the, it. Yeah, the shoes and then the gun. But that was just... Yeah. It's yeah. been a really good documentary, though. I am... Um, yeah, it shows you the, like the ups and downs of, of the investigation, and like. And what I appreciate is that there wasn't this. Okay, the situation with the Ted Bundy tapes, at least for me, is that it feel it felt like the creator of the Ted Bundy tapes was in awe of Ted Bundy, and I personally do not like watching any sort of documentary or thing about serial killers. Where they are spending all this time, like, kind of waxing poetic about how intelligent and how, oh, he was a criminal genius. And I'm like, did you want to sleep with him? Or is that the situation here? You mean glorifying them. Absolutely. And so I appreciated with this documentary that that's not the way that they did things. And they were very much from the jump. Like, this guy was creepy. He was scary. He was very dangerous. He was not one to be messed with. Exactly. Um, I also appreciated that that's what they told people in L.A. Like, listen. You don't want to be near this guy. Mm. There's just so many other things that I learned, and it was just really interesting. Yeah, it was pretty good. So I would recommend A Hunt for the Night Stalker. Yeah, can't wait to finish it. See, Well, we already know what happens at the end, but you know. We know, but I'm interested in in seeing, you know, the little nuances that I don't know about the story. Right, absolutely. Now, the other thing that we're talking about this week, I've decided after hundreds of messages... That I am going to tackle the original creator of the Death House, the con artist, the serial killer who shocked Chicago, none other than Dr. Henry Howard Holmes. And 
Brian, what did you intend to discuss tonight? Oh, I'm not telling you until my story is... No. Ooh, okay. I'll allow that. (laughs) You're not getting it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but no. Okay. Okay. Well, an interesting thing here is that H.H. Holmes has been a source of a lot of fiction. The 1974 novel, American Gothic, is a fictionalized story about him. He inspired a book called The Devil's Dreamland by Sarah Tantlinger. He's been called the American Ripper. His own great-great-grandson investigated his case to see if it was possible that he was also Jack the Ripper because he did travel Jack the Ripper. There's even been an adaptation of his biography that apparently Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio have been working on before COVID happened. So not to mention just countless films, Torture Doctor, Scarlet Mansion, Just to put it simply, uh, America has been very intrigued by this man for a very long time. And the issue is, since he's so well known and been such an inspiration to fiction, a lot of the details of his life have been lost in, in the sake of telling these more exciting stories. So I really set out this week to answer, one, who was H.H. Holmes and why did he kill and how did he kill? And there's a lot of things that I learned and there's a lot of stuff that I didn't realize was just not at all true. Okay, I'm ready for it. Let's go. <laughs> well, H.H. H. Holmes was actually born Herman Webster Mudgett in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. It was May 16th, 1861. Uh, he was born to Levi Horton Mudgett and Theodate Page Price. He's actually the middle out of five children. His older sister was Ellen. He had an older brother named Arthur and then a younger sister, Mary, and a younger brother, Harry. Uh, Holmes' father was from a farming family, so his dad worked as a farmer, a trader, a house painter. Pretty much, dad was a laborer, and he did what he had to do to provide for his family. Uh, Another interesting detail is that they were devoutly religious Methodist Christians. And one of the myths that I came across almost immediately in looking into his childhood is that a lot of people in the 21st century have tried to fit H.H. Holmes into the triad of killer behaviors that you spot in children. So there are all these unsubstantiated reports about him killing animals or being abused by his parents. And after reading eyewitness accounts from of his childhood, all of those are false. By all accounts, Herman Mudgett had a very normal, albeit slightly conservative upbringing, which I think sort of changes how we look at his time as a serial killer late in his life. But we'll get onto that later. So when he's 16, He graduates from Phillips Exeter Academy, takes a teaching job in a city not far from where he grew up in a city called Alton. He'd marry a woman named Clara Lovering just a few months later. And on July 4th, uh, they'd have a son named Robert. Oh, nice. Fourth of July birthday. Yeah. When he was 18, he enrolls in the University of Vermont in Burlington, but he doesn't seem to enjoy school at all there. And he quits within his first year. Then he enters the University of Michigan Department of Medicine and Surgery. And that seems to be his bread and butter. He would graduate June of 1884. Uh, He works in an anatomy lab in his college. And it's also important to note that he apprenticed under a particularly well-known scientist by the name of Nam White, who was a noted advocate of human dissections. (laughs) This would actually be the beginning of Holmes' criminal career, as he would take the knowledge from his teachers and use cadavers from his job to defraud life insurance companies. What? Getting rich off of dead people. Yeah. I mean, that's not unheard of, but still. <laughs> an interesting detail. An interesting detail. Like, oh my God. Let me grab this dead body real quick and I'm going to take some of that information. He didn't actually get caught for this. And it was only later in life that he admitted to doing it because he was trying to convince the police that he wasn't a murderer. 
And he was only someone who was just committing insurance fraud. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, okay. Okay, so the one is worse than the other, so I guess. Exactly. Like, listen, I'm not a murderer. These are just, I've just been, you know, using cadavers yeah, for yeah, like 20 yeah, years. Yeah, don't take, don't put me away for murder. Just put me away for insurance, insurance fraud. fraud. <laughs> so while he's in med school, he's moved his wife and his kid uh, up to Michigan and by his roommate's accounts, he's a pretty crappy husband. He's violent and abusive. And after a little bit of time, before he graduates, Clara leaves and she heads back to New Hampshire. Uh, Clara ended up telling interviewers later that after she left Holmes in Michigan, she didn't hear from him ever again. Hmm. I guess the only positive in that situation is that Holmes' son had a pretty normal childhood and he grew up to become an accountant. There you go. Hey, that's, that's one thing of, you know, one case of dad leaving home and yeah, so I mean, the son is known as uh, Mudget. So Holmes would change his name before he committed any of his big crimes. So it wouldn't adversely affect Clara or the son. Oh, nice. So they didn't have to live with that. Good job. Exactly. Yeah. Look at you being a good guy for like the uh, beginning of the story. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> After med school, he moves to Morris Forks, New York. And it isn't long before there's a rumor that a young man who'd been seen with Holmes had gone missing. Holmes tells people that the kid had gone to Massachusetts. And what do you think the police police do here? They just believe him? They don't investigate anything. Ah. And Holmes immediately moves to Philadelphia, where he gets a job as a keeper at Norristown State Hospital. But that doesn't last long, and he actually quits within a couple days. Hmm. He takes a position at a drugstore in Philly, and then also doesn't last long because while he's working there, a boy dies after taking medicine that he purchased in the store. Holmes denies any wrongdoing and moves again. And, and no one investigates this again. No one investigates it. Nope. Of course not. Nope. They're like, well, we're going to have to let, nobody said we're going to have to let you go for, you know. Nope, nope. He just dipped out. He was like, nope, I'm not going to stay long enough for people to chase me. Oh my goodness. Okay. This time, before moving to Chicago, he would change his name to Henry Howard Holmes, which is what we know him as today. And this is 100% because he's like, I don't want my previous scandals to, you know, follow me to my new town. It has only been four years since he graduated from med school and he has been embroiled in two, three different scandals. Nice, nice. Um, 1886, he finally attempts to file for divorce from Clara after he meets a woman in Philadelphia called Murder Bel Murda Belknap. He does this just a few weeks after meeting Murda and he has the audacity to say that Clara cheated on him. Men with the audacity. What Consistently. Heck? Consistently. Uh, but it apparently, according to some of the surviving paperwork, it would appear that Clara may have never even known that he attempted to divorce her. Uh, it's never finalized and it would be dismissed on June 4th, 1891 on the grounds of what's called want of prosecution, which is pretty much because Clara didn't know about it. It went nowhere and so it just expired. So this is where the Holmes marriage situation gets kind of weird. So he's got a new name now because he only married Clara under the name of Mudget. So while he's with Murda, he has a daughter. Okay. And he marries her. Wait, he marries. He marries a second woman. He marries, he marries Murda and they have a daughter named Lucy. 
And they live in uh, Wimet, Illinois, which is about 25 minutes outside of Chicago. And he spends most of his time in Chicago doing business, but he finds time to marry a third woman named Georgiana Yoke in 1894 in Denver, Colorado. But he's still married to the second, right? At mm-hmm. this time? Okay. He's married to all three of this women throughout the entirety How of this story. Maybe. How do you have three women and three wives? In three <laughs> different states. Oh my goodness. <laughs> now, obviously that happens like way later, but this this will factor in a little bit later, but we're going to slide back in time to 1886. Today's episode of When Killers Get Caught is brought to you by The Magic Clasps Boutique, which happens to be a company owned by her very own Brittany Ransom. If you've seen Brittany on her live streams, she's always rocking some awesome earrings that she herself makes. From cute ice cream earrings to spooky mermaid earrings. She even makes self-defense keychains so you can look stylish and protect yourself at the same time. The Magic Class Boutique is going to release some special jewelry for the podcast next month, so keep an eye out for that as well. To learn more, go to www.themagicclasp.com. So he's in Chicago now. He ends up seeing a drugstore at the corner of South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street in Inglewood. He walks in, he asks for a job, and it must have been a good interview because he gets it. He's a hardworking employee, nothing goes awry, and eventually he saves up enough money and buys the business from the owners. Um, it's called Elizabeth Holton's Pharmacy. It's the name of the, the wife of the Holton family. Now, for a lot of my true crime buffs who are listening, some people paint Elizabeth as elderly and her husband as like sickly. But from what I've been able to read, that's entirely a myth. They were actually only a couple years older than Holmes, and they spent a big chunk of their lives in Englewood. And other people, I, I saw certain articles say that he had killed the Holtons, but he didn't. Um, and I've actually seen their gravestones. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, Elizabeth lived until 1933 and her husband, William, would live until 1910. So they outlived H.H. Uh, H. Holmes. So that is just another one of the, the, the potential, you know, they say he killed this many people that weren't actually people that Holmes killed. I got you. So in probably the first honest thing this man has done in his career, he buys the property outright from the Holtons and he also buys an empty lot across from the drugstore. And he begins building this two-story building in 1887. It's supposed to be a mixed-use building with retail spaces on the bottom and apartments on the top. Now, I just told you that Holmes did the first honest thing. Mm-hmm. He would immediately do dishonest things. Um, of course, like right after. Why would like you gotta you gotta like balance out yin yin yang? You know, balance out your criminal yin, career. Yin, yang. Uh, you might recognize this pattern of behavior by our good old president. Because after having people build this building for him, he refuses to pay the architects and the steel company, which is called Edna Iron and Steel, and they sue him in 1888. (laughs) In 1892, he somehow convinces investors and suppliers to get on board to build a third floor, stating he's going to turn it into a hotel to be part of the, uh, what's it called? Oh, my goodness. The Chicago World's Fair. So the hotel aspect is never completed, and it's believed that he actually never intended for it to be a hotel. There's a furniture supplier who discovers that Holmes has been hiding his the materials 
that they he never paid for in hidden passages throughout the building. And so they dip out. Uh, and in 1892, eventually he does get people to finish it, sort of. There are three stories in a basement. The first floor is a storefront. The second story is full of these elaborate rooms that a lot of people believe were for torture. They're soundproofed. And it's a maze of hallways and rooms that seem to go nowhere. Some of the rooms have hidden hinges and doorways and false partitions that link to hidden passageways. There are even airtight rooms that have pipes to essentially have a homemade gas chamber. The rooms upstairs at the second and third floor were pretty confusing. And public opinion is that these were torture rooms. I'm not entirely sure. The basement was really like the hell spot. All of the rooms upstairs had been retrofitted with like chutes that would drop into the basement. And the basement had acid vats and quicklime, and it's very own crematorium. What the heck? So, yeah. Wait, wait, so back up. So people thought that he made the second floor for like torture and stuff, but didn't he say that he was making it for like apartments and stuff? Too? He did. He said they were making them into apartments, but... I guess the way he constructed it, or he had them build it, it wasn't... You know what? I'm going to give you a second here. I want, I want you to look at H.H. Holmes' house, because there is a hand-drawn map that the uh, Chicago Tribune posted in the newspaper showing you exactly what it looked like. And it is bizarre beyond belief. Here we go. This would be the photo that they posted in the local paper. Um, It's just, it's like, I'll read you a quote actually from the Chicago Tribune that described the castle. It says, oh, what a queer house it was. In all America, there was none other like it. Its chimneys stuck out where chimneys should never stick out. Its stairways ended nowhere in particular. Winding passages brought the uninitiated with a frightful jerk back to where they had started from. There were rooms that had no doors. There were doors that had no rooms. A mysterious house it was indeed, a crooked house, a reflex of the builder's own distorted mind. In that house occurred dark and eerie deeds. It just... Okay, yeah. No, that's that's a definitely... It's weird. But here's an interesting thing, right? So the, the the basement has the acid vats and things of that nature in it, right? He has the whole basement full of surgical tables and medical tools. He even hired assistants who helped him strip the flesh from corpses and prepare skeletons. I've looked at so many different resources and I can't seem to find any that give direct details as to why he was killing outside of him funding his business through essentially black market body part sales but he had to ask him that so how do you sell body parts okay so here's what he would do um he would have his assistants come and help and he would just tell them that these are cadavers who are being you know prepared he would sell the skeletons to medical schools Mm, okay he would sell any organs that he could on the black market and then all of the rest of the skin and muscle and whatnot Mm. that's what he put in the quick line okay to remove <laughs> I, I get it now but god i don't want to get it <laughs> so there'd be nothing left so that makes this an interesting question right what murders did this man get caught for then there's no bodies so how did he get caught h.h mm. holmes also has a very interesting uh, honor of being one of the earliest killers to be put in prison without body confirmation This is a big deal because it does not often happen. And there are several people who disappeared, specifically women, after being romantically involved with him. 
Oh no, I got a whole list of them. (laughs) (laughs) The first was one of his mistresses. Her name was Julia Smith. She was the wife of a man named Ned Connor who had moved into the the house. And she began working at the jewelry counter in the, uh, in the pharmacy. When Connor found out that she was sleeping with her boss, he just leaves both Julia and her daughter Pearl in Chicago. Julia stays to continue her relationship with Cole Holmes, and this is 1891. So then Christmas Eve 1891, both Julia and Pearl disappear. Holmes would claim that Julia died while obtaining an illegal abortion, but there is no confirmation that either of them went anywhere. 1892, he begins dating Emmeline Segrand, who also began working for him. She also goes missing. Christmas 1892. Then a third woman he dates, Edna Van Tassel, also goes missing the final year. Mind you, he's still married to three, well, at this point, two women. But he's still married to two women. Yep. So, okay. Yep. So after these three women, nobody comes to, um... Nobody comes to check. Like, we, like, guy, look, look, listen here. We this is like the third person that's been missing from your building, and I'm sure all he just said was, "Listen, she stopped coming to work." <laughs> You're very bothered. Okay, whatever. <laughs> well, this during this time, he becomes a best friends with a man by the name of Benjamin Pizzell. Ben was a carpenter, a criminal, and also created inventions. Uh, they would that Ben would become his right hand man. And at Holmes' trial years later, the district attorney says that Pizzell was Holmes' tool, his creature. Like his Igor? Uh, Kind of. Okay. But we aren't done with Holmes killing his girlfriends yet. It's 1893, and he's linked to a local actress named Minnie Williams. Holmes claims that he met her at an employment office, and he offered her a job as his personal stenographer, and she accepted. Somehow during their relationship, he persuades her to transfer the deed of her home in Fort Worth, Texas, to a man named Alexander Bond. Who do, who do you think Alexander Bond is? James Bond? <laughs> Cousin? Alexander Bond is an alias of H.H. H. Holmes. Oh my goodness. So April of 1883, they do the deed transfer. Transfer. Holmes serves as the notary. <laughs> so he's a... He's he, he's having her transfer something to him by and notarizing it himself, but she doesn't know it's to him. She yet. doesn't know it's to him. God, dude. Then the following month, Holmes signs the deed over to Pizzell, who is using the alias of Benton Lyman. Then in May, both Holmes and Williams present themselves as a married couple. They didn't actually get married. He think he learned to stop doing that by this point. And they rent an apartment in Chicago's Lincoln Park area. Minnie's sister, Annie, comes to visit, and in July, she writes a letter to their aunt saying that they are accompanying her brother, Harry, to Europe. I think you can guess what happens next. Does she go missing? Mm, Neither Minnie or Annie are seen again after July 5th, 1893. Now, there's a gap here, which is when, between 1893 and 1894, is when he marries his third wife in Colorado. Okay, wait, so... 
what was his? Does he have a story for how she went missing? I mean, she's a local actress. And nope. Nope. Nothing. And nope. nobody's nobody's raising any eyebrows. Okay. Okay. He's got nothing. This is like I told you. Just like this reminded me of Marcel Pichot. There are so many opportunities here where at, no one was paying attention and just kind of let this guy slide right through life because he was a doctor. Apparently, that was the key in the early. <laughs> So nineteen hundreds and late eighteen hundreds. If you're a doctor, you can do whatever you want. Guys, go back in time. Be a doctor. You'll murder some people. Go ahead. You'll get away with it. <laughs> so uh, the next section I would like to call just his capture and his arrest. Um, the path leading to Holmes getting arrested is winding and quite convoluted. So when Holmes wasn't killing people and selling their body parts, he was also committing fraud everywhere that he could. So that apartment he had with many, a mysterious fire breaks out. And the insurance company is sure that this was arson and they do not want to pay it. Um, in fact, they begin to send the police after him and he decides, you know, it'd be a good time right now. I'm going to leave Chicago. And he decides to go to Minnie's property in Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, okay. Nice, nice. Yeah. Change the scenery. Mm-hmm. Where he begins to build another building just like the one in chicago come on guy where he commissions another group of workers and refuses to pay both the architects and the suppliers i no i quit i know i know i'm gonna tear your house down like (laughs) it's like those memes i see people like if you're like your card declines at a certain place like say at the doctor's office okay and or the dentist and like they're pulling out a tooth and your card declines, they put that tooth right back in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how it's going to happen. I'm going to tear your house down. You're not going to pay me. No, thank you. Well, that's not how that worked there. Um, he he would actually get arrested for the first time in his life on the charge of selling mortgaged goods in St. Louis, Missouri, a couple months later after this. He gets bailed out immediately, but while in jail, he meets an outlaw named Marion Hedgepath, who's there for 25 years. Holmes and him, while they're in jail together, concoct a scheme to get an insurance company to pay $10,000 for Holmes to fake his own death, which in 2021 money is going to be a payout of about 291000 U.S. dollars. Holmes promises Hedgebath $500, and all Hedgebath has to do is get him in touch with a lawyer who can be trusted. That's about $15,000 today. So not a bad payout by any means. No. Uh, and that's when Holm meets the young St. Louis attorney named Jepsa Howe. Howe worked for his older brother, who had no idea what Jepsa was getting himself into. But Jepsa thought this scheme was brilliant and helps them. But the insurance company is suspicious and won't pay. Rather than press his luck, they decide to use Pizzell and try again. Pizzell says, sure, I'll do it for half the money. And they're like, all right. They decide to go back to uh, Philadelphia to do this. And Pizzell changes his identity again to that of someone by the name of P.F. Perry, the inventor. I know, I know. <laughs> and they set it up to have it. So B.F. Perry is going to die in a lab explosion. Holmes had been tasked to find an appropriate cadaver to be his uh, death buddy, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why. Instead, Holmes knocks out Pizzell and sets his body on fire. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. He he killed his Igor. You cannot kill your Igor. You gotta keep that guy around. Now, Holmes would later admit that Pizzell was alive when he died, but that was also a lie. And he attempted to chloroform the already deceased 
uh, pizza before he set him on fire. I guess it was an attempt to some sort of forensic countermeasure. It didn't make a lot of sense. But Holmes then collects the insurance money of his genuinely dead friend. Uh, and then he goes to Pizzell's wife and convinces her to allow the three older children to travel with him and be in his custody. Why? What, why? It would seem he gets her to do this under the ruse that Pizzell isn't actually dead. And he's like telling her that he's in hiding, eventually like leading her on, telling her that Pizzell is in London. Oh, right. So, yeah, you take your children to London because your husband's not really dead. Well, it's not even that. Like. So his three chief children, Alice, Nellie, and Howard, travel through the northern part of the U.S. and into Canada. And he's at the same time, like, leading um, the wife, Mrs. Pizzell, on an almost, like, parallel trip. Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to this location and I'm going to this location and we're trying to find him. Then he just tells her, your children are missing. No. I <laughs> No, you don't just tell me that without, like, dying. What do you mean my children are missing? Mm-hmm. In reality, while he is in Toronto, Canada, he kills the two girls by locking them in the trunk of his car and putting one end of the exhaust into a hole he drilled in the trunk. And then he buries the two girls in a house he was renting in Toronto. <laughs> I, I feel you. <laughs> so we bounce back over to Philadelphia. There's this cop and his name is Frank Geyer. And he's been assigned to investigate Holmes about the pizza case and he pretty much begins chasing Holmes across america he would chase him all the way up to toronto but like he's like just not there yet like holmes is always on to the next spot before guy can get him mm. uh he finds the two girls in toronto he says uh, the deeper we dug the more horrible the odor became when we reached the depth of three feet we discovered what appeared to be the bone of the forearm of a human being and I got to tell you, Frank didn't pull any punches. He wrote a whole book in 1896 on his involvement with the case. And in the book, he is completely fed up with H.H. H. Holmes. There's even one article that he participated in that was just called H.H. H. Holmes. He lied, then died. It's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite line ever. He was so upset <clears throat> with this guy. So then Geyer chases Holmes to Indianapolis, where Holmes had been renting a cottage. Holmes had gone to a local pharmacy and purchased the drugs he needed to kill um, Howard Pizzell, the the last boy. Mm. Then he bought a bunch of knives and cut up the boy's body and burned it in the cottage. Uh, When Geyer would get to Indianapolis, they would find teeth and small bone bits in the chimney. (sighs) Following the discovery of Alice and Nellie's bodies in Canada, Chicago PD are like, screw it. They get a warrant and start checking out the Chicago murder castle. That's where they find the bizarre layout of the building. And all of these articles come out in the local papers. There's these rumors. It's a torture mansion. But the Chicago PD are never able to find any evidence of murder actually committed on the property. It appears that all of those articles saying that Holmes was torturing people were just fiction. Hmm. So Obviously, he did a very good job of hiding. hiding and dissolving the bodies because he definitely... Like, it's definitely believed that those girlfriends were killed. Yeah, like, they didn't just disappear. You can't, like, and nobody hears, no. I know, I know. But now we head over to Boston, and Holmes has been tracked there. So, on top of Geyer chasing him, now the Pinkerton detectives are on his trail. The Pinkerton. 
Yes. Uh, and for people who are not aware, the Pinkerton Detective Agency goes back to slave times in America. Uh, I believe they sought out, they tried to find the killer for Abraham Lincoln. That's that's how far back they yes, go. Yes, yes. Yes, they were tasked with finding the uh, the killer of Abraham Lincoln. So they go very, very far back into our history. Uh, not the fa- my most favorite organization because they also infiltrated the labor strikes in the 19th and 20th and 21st century in an attempt to kind of subvert uh, intimidation for like workers and... <sighs> But to put it simply, they they were this very efficient detective agency at finding people and doing what they needed to do to destroy stuff. And sometimes um, they actually tracked real criminals. And in this case, they managed to track down H.H. Holmes and arrest him in Boston, November 17th, 1894. And the best part about this, they tracked him from Philadelphia, too. He's attempting to leave the country with his third wife, uh, Georgiana. And they managed to hold him on an outstanding warrant from Texas because when he was in Texas, he stole a horse. That is a, that is a crime. Okay. (laughs) Horse horse thievery. Not even kidding. Back in the day, I think they would, uh, they would quarter you for stealing horses. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was like stealing a car. Yeah. No, no, it was worse than that. Why? It was was a lot. It was was worse than stealing a car. I'm telling you. I'll have to look into that. Yes. Stealing a horse, bad. But it's October of 1895, and Holmes is put on trial for killing Ben Pitzel, and he is found guilty and sentenced to death. They would also uh, then bring the children back down to the States, and he would be found guilty of killing the children as well. After his conviction, Holmes would admit to 27 different murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, Toronto, and in my opinion, after looking through this, I think this is a tactic to stop his execution. By adding on murders? Yes, because if they have to add on murders, then he has to have more trials and he pushes it off. Oh, well, I mean, I, yeah, okay. Some of the murders that he admitted to were people who were still alive, like the Holtons, one of his medical school roommates, who who wasn't dead at all, had just moved after medical school to be a doctor. <laughs> and a local newspaper um, called the Hearst newspaper paid him $7,500, which is about $230,000 in today's money for an exclusive interview confession which was wasted money because it was all nonsense so they got the they they got the confession from they got the confession in that interview he gave all these contradictory ideas like accounts of his life he said he was possessed he and his propensity for lying made searching for the kills to be quite difficult while in prison, he would write these letters about how he was changing into the devil and he could tell that he looked more demonic. Didn't matter. Chicago would charge him with murder for his missing girlfriends, despite them not having the bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other states and areas were just like, you know what? Doesn't matter. He's going to be killed anyway. So wasn't this like worldwide news or something like this at this time? Some people actually believed that he was Jack the Ripper. Okay, so if this was, like, worldwide news, wouldn't, like, the girlfriends, like, if they were still alive and not missing? No, no, the girlfriends, that's why Chicago was like, oh, no, no, he definitely killed them. Yeah, okay. Chicago determines that he murdered those four women. Because they couldn't, yeah, even if they couldn't find the bodies, even if he says they're missing or they left or something, no, they're gone. But they were able to find other people who he claimed that he killed who were were definitely still alive. That's why I'm asking, because, like, if they're still alive, yeah, okay. No, that's absolutely right. 
but like I said, Indianapolis is like, mm, all we can prove is that you killed this little boy and that's enough for us. So you're going to be executed anyway. Sounds good to us. <laughs> um, and he would be hung uh, May 7th, 1896. I'm sorry. Yeah, 1896 at Moya Prison, which is now called Philadelphia County Prison. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, interestingly enough, although he'd been acting really weird and aggressive for the sake of the media, they said he was actually really calm and showed very little signs of fear or depression before his execution. He only had one wish, which is that he wanted his coffin to be lined with cement and he wanted to be buried 10 foot underground so that grave robbers would not be able to steal his body and dissect him. Um, a rather macabre detail is that he did not actually uh, immediately die when he was hung. Uh, and they said that he twitched for 15 minutes and was not pronounced dead until 20 minutes after his execution. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Don't those, you know, like, don't, don't, didn't they take long? Well, the I thing mean, is, sometimes it, like, if you are, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, if you get a good drop, mm-hmm. people's necks will break. And right. It's immediate. But if you don't, or you're not heavy enough, you just suffer. You just hang there for a while. And oh. so, in the case of him, that was the situation. Now, in a strange turn of events, the Chicago catcher, uh, castle will catch fire in 1895. And I say a strange turn of events, but according to the New York Times, there were two men seen entering the back of the building at like <laughs> nine o'clock at night. And then a half hour later, they were seen running away. And then there are several explosions and the building goes up in flames. <laughs> that probably would have been me. I don't walk in the back door. Hey, Bob, how's it going? I'm going to light this house on fire real quick. They literally find like cans of gasoline. Like, left in the house. Yeah, nothing mysterious about this. I'm burning this house down. Yeah, okay, um, it would remain unused and then be torn down in 1938. Uh, currently, there's a post office. Oh. There you go. Now, the most interesting thing about this, this is, for me, being such a weird death fanatic. In 2017, there's a strange allegation that people think that Holmes had actually escaped execution. And it was so persistent, this rumor, that they got permission from his descendants and exhumed his body. It was led by Janet Monge, who is the current curator of the University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology. The prison actually listened to Holmes, and they did cover his casket in cement. Nice. Okay. Anthropologist Samantha Cox did the forensic science on the exhumed remains, and she stated that his body hadn't decomposed correctly because it didn't have any access to air. I was going to say because of the cement. Mm Mm-hmm. Normally, a the human body takes about three weeks to just a few years, years to decompose down to just bones. And that depends on how hot of an area you are. The right. hotter you are, the faster uh, bugs and things take mm-hmm. you out. Um, and, but then after that, bone would begin to decompose. So you would expect a body that had been underground for a hundred years to be bones. It was not. And in fact, Holmes' clothes were perfectly preserved. As was his mustache. Are you saying, oh, the no. handlebar mustache was still perfect. Okay, I hate you, but I do dig um, your Samantha hair. Cox actually said the corpse stank. And it's weird because, like I said, a body that's been there for 100 years should not have any, like, it should be musty, but it shouldn't smell like decay. Mm-hmm. His skin had decayed in such a weird way that they couldn't get any DNA out of it. So they had to get a positive ID for who he was by just his teeth. And then they reburied him again in a local cemetery. They, they, would they do cement again? Or? I don't think so. I don't think they have to. Oh, I don't think anyone cares. Oh, come on. <laughs> I know he's an ass. You know, he's a bad guy, but you know. At least do what he wants in death. Just well, a little bit. 
That would be the life and times of one of the weirdest serial killers that I've had to research. I didn't know that he, with the knowledge that we've been talking about on TikTok the last couple of days with different types of serial killers, honestly, was he nothing more than a comfort killer? He killed I mean, for ease. Like, he, he's kind of like, like those women who just kill men when they're done with them. Yeah, like, really, he got what he wanted from them. And then he was like, okay, I'm, you're, yeah. you're out of here. You're going to die. Sorry. So I guess he's a little bit of a bluebeard and also a little bit of a comfort killer. He killed for money and he he was like the male equivalent of a black widow. Almost, yeah, but he didn't kill his wives. No, didn't kill his wives because they weren't living with him. That's, okay. <laughs> he only killed the girlfriends. Dude, okay. <laughs> well, the sources for this were pretty great. Uh, I used The Devil in the White City, which is by Eric Larson, a very popular book. And then I got a lot of the information debunking like the murders and things from uh, Adam, Selver- Adam Selzer's book, which is called H.H. Holmes, The True History of the White City Devil. And Selzer did like incredible due diligence looking at these crimes that Holmes said he had done. Um, you, I was able to look at how he traced the Holton family to prove that Holmes had not killed them. Um, Sellers, Selzer has a website called Mysterious Chicago, and it's just a very great source if you are interested in H.H. Holmes, but also if you are interested in weird things that happen in Chicago. Guy appears to be an expert. Just like a really great book, and I honestly want to see if he's written any more books about serial killers because I really enjoyed it. That would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, that's the end for me. Uh what a weird story. What a weird that, guy. That was very frustrating to listen to half the time. <laughs> <laughs> Things just, you know, don't go the way they're supposed to, apparently. Oh, my, oh my God. Just, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Guy, come on. All right, now I'm ready. What's this big surprise in Spookyville? Okay. Well, today, I don't least, let me just, let me just set the the, the mood for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to set the mood for you guys, okay? And for you as well, Brittany. Um, <laughs> okay. You hear a knock at your front door. You check the time. Oh my God, you say. It's freaking late. Who the heck is coming at my door this late? You hesitantly walk to your door. Look out the peephole and see two children standing there. Now you're like, oh, hell no. But you you feel kind of guilty just leaving them standing there, you know, in the cold. With a sigh, you crack open the door to see what they want and to move them along. We're sorry to bother you, but we're lost. Could we use your phone to call our parents? They said. No. Something seems off about these two, but you can't put your finger on it. Something about their faces is just unsettling. You give them the okay to use your phone, and that they can wait inside until their parents come. Their phone call is weird. Just a lot of yeses and noes. They hang up the phone, and you notice they never asked you or told their parents your address. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe you didn't hear them. They come and sit down across from you in your living room. You couldn't make out their faces at the door, but now you can see cl- you can see them clearly. They weren't wearing coats, 
They were just wearing plain, nondescript clothing. Mm-hmm. And they must have been out of school uniforms. They must have gotten out of school late. Mm-hmm. And they got lost on their way home. Mm-hmm. But it was extra late. Your eyes move up to their faces. They were smiling at you. Wide, toothy grins. You smile back uneasily. Your eyes move up to their faces. Uh, move up their faces. And then you stop, frozen in your seat. Their eyes. They were pure black. Mm-hmm. There was nothing white about them. Like looking into the blackness of a well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying. I don't I'm like trying. that. I'm trying to finish it. Stop looking at me. <laughs> I just hear your. I just hear mm-hmm in your face. <clears throat> they notice the look of horror on your face. Their smiles growing larger. Don't you know it's impolite to stare? The last word you ever hear before they start giggling and you start screaming. Interesting. Yes. Can you guess what I'm talking about this week? No. <clears throat> well, for anybody who has not guessed, I'm talking about black eyed children. This I week. wait, isn't is that what like the children of the corn is based off of? Mm, I don't think so. I don't remember what they looked like. I remember being frightened of them as a small child though. Uh, children of the corn are just creepy well, kids. Amish so. Amish kids that they are, they're Amish. <laughs> Amish Minute, like I'm not sure what theirs are. I'm pretty they sure were Amish. I'm pretty sure they're Amish. But, yeah, but Amish people are nice. The children of the corn are not. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> to anybody else who could not guess when I mentioned their eyes being black, I'm talking about black-eyed children. I don't know what this is about. Okay. Oh well, black black-eyed children, known as an urban legend. Okay. So. And uh, I know some some people may know about this, but a lot of people don't. Yes, you have a question on your face. I'm just listening. Okay. <laughs> so there are creatures who resemble children or teenagers. Um, I'd say between the ages of like I don't know six to like thirteen, sixteen, maybe. Okay. Um, they have no whites to their eyes, just plain, just all black. So no irises, no no whites, no nothing, just all milky blackness. Okay. <laughs> Vin Diesel in that one movie. Yeah, there you go. They are known to either approach parked cars, try to hitchhike. Um, they appear on doorsteps, doorsteps and knock on uh, people's windows of their houses. <sighs> Sorry, I got my analog notes. That's okay. I got to turn pages. Uh and they're just trying to gain entry for some reason. So to either your car or your house. Okay. So they ask to use your phone or your bathroom or something to drink or a ride in someone's car. They have pale skin. Their clothing can range from either like a white nightgown to like a vintage wear. Okay. To like contem- modern and contemporary like clothing. So it can be from, like I said, like I mentioned in my story. Um, like school clothes, kids' school clothes, and stuff like that, or they could end up wearing hoodies. This very much reminds me of like Japanese horror. Maybe. I feel like this would be in a Japanese horror movie. Maybe we had to find one later. Shutter. Maybe. Oh, Shutter dot com. Shutter sponsor us. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? That could be a good. We'll talk about this later. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um. 
So they're reported to have an unpleasant smell to them. It's very mo- like a moldy, earthy type of smell. Um, also, sometimes they smell like sulfur. Okay, so demonic. There you go. They're well spoken. Uh, they have a monotone. Like their 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 tones are monotonous. Monotone. They are okay. mon- they're monotone. Okay. Um, they're very polite at first, but when they refuse entry, they turn very angry and frustrated. So is it like vampires? Do you have to give them entry into your house? Or I, the fact that they're there is you're ruined? I think that if they're in your house or inside anything that like inside your car, or inside your house, then you're just F. But okay. so so you have to you have to let them in. So it's kinda like it's kinda like vampire rule. Okay. They, they need to be invited in. They also bang on windows. If you say no, they will bang on your doors and windows for hours. Oh, I hate it. Just imagine, just, okay, don't imagine, please don't. don't I'm imagining don't. it, especially because I'm up like 10 stories in the <laughs> air. That would be imagine? so frightening okay. if I looked over there and there's a child banging on my window <laughs> in suspended in midair. Oh my God, that's all, horrible. All you have to do is go to sleep, don't let them in. Okay, try to go to sleep, hiding in the bathroom. Pretty much, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to call you sitting in the tub. I'll probably. Uh, there's children outside my window. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll be half asleep while you're telling me this, and I'm just, wait, what floor do you live on again? <laughs> exactly! <laughs> oh my god. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So, allowing black-eyed children into your car or home may result in illness, a curse, or even death. Okay. I mean, listen, if we're ever driving anywhere and we see some little white kids on the side of the road, we're just not gonna pick them up. Absolutely. Just... I mean, I I wouldn't do that anyway. So that just seems like a recipe for disaster, yeah. no matter how you look at it. If you suffer from any of these causes, please notify your lawyer. <laughs> you may be, you may be, um, what's that? <laughs> you may be able to have compensation there you go. for being cursed by black-eyed children in Victorian clothing. Now, here's something I think you will find interesting. All right. So black-eyed children also appear in legends from the Iroquois tribes. Really? Yes. Absolutely. Did you know this when you picked it? I did not until I read further into it. And I was like, oh, okay. Iroquois, okay, but there's six different tribes. So they go deeper into it or just it did the... not. It just said the Iroquois. Okay. Yeah, because the Iroquois Nation is a multiple different tribes. It was a collectorate. Mm. So I wonder, because I never heard about these as children. Mm. So maybe it wasn't part of our particular family lore. Okay, so... <laughs> That's really cool, though. Oh, wow. See, I kind of want to look into it, but I'm kind of scared of it. (laughs) So, black-eyed black-eyed, and pale skin. Well, that would be weird. Like, they they wouldn't be part of the tribe. They were possessed offspring um, of the evil-minded one. So, I tried to look into what god or what the evil-minded one was, but the only... uh, information I got from my website Mm -hmm. is that it was just the evil-minded one. So... The evil minded one was a Satan like Satan like being mm-hmm. who some said took the form of a reptilian steak man. Oh lovely. Yep. And it was said he was trying to manifest itself in human form and tried to mate with unsuspecting Iroquois women. So reportedly black eyed infants from it's... Yes. Okay. No, I'm just No, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm just relating this to like my own family yes. history. Yes. I mean the evil minded one is like it is 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It is comparatively um, like the, the concept of like the devil mm-hmm. without there being a concept of the devil in traditional native stories. But it does like date back to creation Okay, for indigenous people. Yeah. So I, I was reading up on this and there were, there was like the, the main god and then he had two twins. Because he was killed by a deer god. Okay, yes. Sorry, it's my, no. you yes, picked I know. something that's I know. part of my history. I know, and I love to hear more about it. But <laughs> that's yeah, so interesting. Apparently. I, just, I don't know why I never heard about this as a kid. My grandmother told me about all sorts of other creepy no little, stuff. No little evil, no evil-minded one impregnating other women. No. And I mean, but that's at like all, every culture has its own right. creation story so, that explains uh, how things happen. Like for this, I'm kind of like thinking like he's probably be like the Antichrist type of stuff. And stuff kind like of. That. It's just we are thinking of this through the lens of Christianity because it's what we were raised yeah. in. Mm-hmm. But continue, continue. Okay. So reportedly black eyed infants were usually killed at birth by tribal elders and then burned to prevent resurrection. Okay. So children that... Also, children that were lost or alone in the woods would become targets for the evil-minded one to project. Ooh, I did not look this one up. Otkon? O-T-K-O-N? Otkon? That sounds pretty right to me. To project Akon onto. Ones affected with Akon were said to be ferocious, mean, and often had a taste for human flesh. So... I'm trying not to say this word as often because I don't really know how to pronounce it. But Otcon mm-hmm. is a broad term to describe evil or negative energy. Okay. Things being in or forces that live in the world around us, which try to penetrate the world from the underworld, the skies, or other dimensions, in consciousness, mm-hmm. and reality, and try to possess, destroy, and be focused as a weapon against people, objects, and animals. So that's the that's a little other history from there's there's another I I, I did read that um black eyed children do appear up in Scandinavian um lore as well. Oh but I did not research into that as much well, no, as I, I just love when paranormal things somehow show up in different parts of the world that had especially when they date back to creation stories and things of that nature we're talking about things from hundreds upon hundreds of years ago that this was well before globalism so why do we have matching stories uh, of matching evils and matching deities and things that i feel like that lends some strange sense of credibility just a little bit to them absolutely I do feel that too because like it's just it's just weird that you know all these people talk about it and then like like you said it's back in the time where nobody well it's funny because I just did a little like random Google and Mm -hmm. then somebody was talking about black eyed children in Texas and I was just like so is this something that all indigenous tribes have I feel like I would need to look that up and see like is this kind of like the being that I don't like to talk about. Yes. Uh, and that many different tribes have their own version of it. That's really interesting. Kind of frightening. Because that lends a lot more credibility to it. And I don't like the fact that it could be credible. Because <laughs> it might be real. I mean, because what's the purpose of them attacking you in such a way? Like, 
you said they could, could curse, you could you could be killed, but yeah, what's like what's the point? Are they attacking people mainly who live in wooded areas? They don't know because nobody, everybody who's encountered a black eyed child has lived, and they haven't let them in their house. Well, I mean that's a good idea. Or but... a car. So and also a lot of these folklore type stories are always related to something that does exist, right? Right. Yeah. So then my third process is if this is something from like a tribal thing, and they're saying like we killed children who we thought were a problem, then my thought process is like what was really wrong with them? Babies are innocent, so like what was wrong with these kids that they? I'm just gonna say. We're frightened enough of them to execute them. I forget which one of my kids it was when they were born. Like, they came out. I'm pretty sure their eyes were black. As some devil child. Devil children. When they came out. I'm are, just, are you I'm thinking of the one you call your devil child? Okay, they are devils, okay? Just, they, I love my children. I love my children so much, but they're devils sometimes. <laughs> they are, oh my god. That's okay. I know I work with kids, so I understand. Yes. Stress. Okay, so now black eyed children have been known to exist since at least the nineteen eighties. But the contemporary black eyed children legend is believed to originate from a eighteen eighties? Nineteen eighties. The nineteen eighties is when I, we were born. I that I'm going off what my source went. Maybe I should have checked into that a little bit. Maybe eighteen eighties. <clears throat> yeah, I, I just thought maybe okay. you transposed something because, like... I, I may have written that wrong. Because <laughs> you're talking about, like, the beginning of, like, creation know, for indigenous people, which was a lot sooner than 1980. I, you know what? Don't quote me on that the first date because I probably wrote that down wrong. I'm sorry. And it may have been 1880. Thank you for pointing that out because I... <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, don't be. Okay, but, this, but the, the contemporary black-eyed children legend is believed to originate from a 1990. Eight ghost-related mailing lists host from Brian Betchel. Okay. So here's one of his claims. This is his first claim uh, of meeting black-eyed children. Oh. Yes. So it was around 9.30 p.m. on January 16th, 1998, and Brian left his apartment in, I should have looked up words, <laughs> how to pronounce words, uh, states, uh, cities, Alabine, Alabine, Oh, uh, Abilene, Abilene, Texas. Abilene, Texas. Listen, if it's kind of French, I got you. (laughs) If it's a Spanish word, don't ask me. Oh my goodness. I got you on Spanish, I think. There you go. (laughs) Together we will be able to say things correctly. There you go. So he left his apartment in Abilene, Texas for the Dropbox to pay his internet bill. Okay. On the way, he stopped at the Dollar Movie Theater. Which was a thing back then. Oh, a great thing that doesn't exist anymore. I know. Next to a service provider's building to use the glow of the marquee as a light to make out his check. As he did this, there was a knock on the window of his car and he saw two young boys. He placed them between 10 and 14 years old. He described the boys as the first one um, was slightly taller than his companion, wearing a pullover hooded like a hoodie. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of a gray checkered pattern, and he had jeans on. Um, he couldn't see his shoes. His skin was olive color, and he had curly, medium length brown hair. He exuded an air of quiet confidence. Uh, the second boy had pale skin with a trace of freckles. 
His primary characteristic was that he was looking around nervously. He was dressed in a similar manner to his companion. He had a hoodie on, jeans, but his hoodie was light green. And his hair was orange, so he I'm not going He had gingivitis, basically. He was just a cute little creepy ginger. Yes, that's all. They don't have souls. <laughs> Remember that meme? That was from like 10 years oh ago. Oh my god, yes. Okay. So they didn't, they didn't appear to be related, um, at least directly. So immediately, he knew something was up, and he felt a sense of fear. The first boy began to, to tell Brian that he needed his help. They wanted to go to see the new Mortal Kombat movie, but forgot their money. Mortal Kombat. Don't. Wow. I can't wait. This is dated. Wow. This is dated. Yes. This is the first Mortal Kombat movie. Yes. Or he said new Mortal Kombat. So there are two movies, but still, you never know. I forget when they came out. That's fine. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 1998, which one of them came out. And I do remember loving them. I was going to say that this is a pretty terrible (laughs) ruse, though, because... We forgot our $2 to go to the movie. Can you give us $2? I'm like, listen, kids, just go home. You can watch this movie tomorrow. Also, isn't it nighttime? Why are you outside? It's 9 p.m. Thank you. It's a little... Listen, <clears throat> you are children. Keep your butts inside the house. But they're kids. They, they're, you know. Okay, so... Maybe this is just my COVID brain. Maybe. <laughs> you can watch everything from home, so yes. So instead of asking for money itself, the boy asked for a lift to their house to get money. Uh, Brian is nervous and hesitant as the first boy continued to try to coax him into saying things like, come on, mister, we just want to go to our house, and we're just two little boys. Yeah, because that's not totally (laughs) obvious at all. And he said stuff like, come on, mister, let us in. We can't get in your car until you do, you know, just let us in. And we'll be so going wait, before you know it. So wait, is he outside of his car I think, when this I happens? I think he was outside of his car, like riding on the hood of his car. Oh my goodness. So he's like, we can't get in the car unless you get in the car. Mm. That is even more frightening. At first I thought he was inside with the windows So did I, when, up. I, when I was reading it, and I was like, no, okay, he's outside. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, we can't get in, just let us in, and we'll be gone before you know it. We'll just go, our, we'll just go to our mother's house. So I guess the boys are related, but... Right. So, okay. So Brian found himself unlocking the door without realizing and as if instructed by the child to do so. No. After catching his hands, he looks back at the kids with a fresh perspective. That's when he realized that the kid's eyes were solid black. No white of his eyes, no irises, no pupils, nothing. Just black. What did they, what did he do? So... All the stories, all the stories of people meeting black-eyed children, kids, claim that once you realize that their eyes are black, things get dangerous. The second boy continued to stand there completely silent while the first boy threatens him, saying, We won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun. According to Brian, the boy was implying that they didn't need guns. Oh, no. (laughs) He started pulling at the door and demanded to be let in. With the courage he managed to find, Brian pushed his car into reverse and sped home, leaving the boys where he found them. So, so, that was your face. So, okay, so they were like, yeah, get in the car so you can take us somewhere. Mm -hmm. So he gets in in kind of a daze. Mm -hmm. And then he, but he still hasn't invited them in so they can't get in too. Yeah, so he keeps... And then he speeds off. Yeah. Okay. 
Wow. So after this incident, Brian calls a friend who had a girlfriend who claimed to be sensitive. Um, he tells he tells her the story, and before Brian got to the part about their eyes, the girlfriend asks, "Wait, wait a minute. Did the kids have black eyes?" Mm. Brian said, "Yeah," and then the girlfriend goes. Well, it's a good thing you didn't let them in your car. You would have been killed. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, there are so many claims, so many claims of black-eyed children that I really wasn't going to write anything else down. Okay. I figured if anybody else wanted to um, read about the black-eyed children. That's just that, a Google away. <laughs> that yeah, you can do that, or I might be willing to like post a little bit on. Maybe you should read some of the stories on Creeps with Brian. There you go. I could read some on, on TikTok, like little mini videos of people and their interactions with black eyed children. But here's here's a funny story. So apparently, you can summon a black eyed child. That look on your face was like, no, hell no. Why would you do this? So I'm not sure if this is real or not, but I'm just reading this from the site. Um, okay. So, the cre- the creator of a, of the YouTube channel Fantastic Daily, which has now been replaced by the creators with the Red Hot Punch channel, okay, uh, was was reportedly obsessed with finding evidence of black eyed children. Oh. The creator of the channel claimed to have isolated by going through hours of supposed footage of black eyed children, a sound, isolated, and lower. Audio frequencies, oh, okay, okay, which would be used to summon black-eyed children. Okay, so he used he. <laughs> I'm sorry. When you say lower frequencies, I immediately think of the brown. Note. I knew you were going to say that <laughs> freaking brown noise, brown note, freaking South Park. I'm sorry. So he sets up his his uh his laptop with a video camera to record overnight. Uh, his door, I guess, is out the outside of his his house mm-hmm. to see um. If he could summon any children to his door. Okay. So, the first night, nothing goes by, of course. Um, second night, something triggers his motion sensor light. It's the second week where we've had motion I sensors. I know. Ooh. This is a thing now. But he couldn't find anyone on camera. Third and fourth nights also caught nothing. But on the fifth night, his motion light was triggered again. And his camera, wait for the chills, his camera caught someone standing on his front porch for over an hour. Oof. Simply standing and staring into the house. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Um, What's, this is interesting, too, because uh, one of my, like, biggest, I guess, fears, you remember that movie Strangers? Yeah. The two people yeah. who show up at the, the couple's house. Three. Yeah, there was a third one. There was the two girls with the cutie faces and mm-hmm. the one guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's one of my fears. Uh, and so this kind of ties into that a little bit. At least the thing is, there's a rule here. They can't break in. Yeah, exactly. They got, they have to wait. And I'm, I'm sure like this person didn't knock on his door. They just stood there. Well, that's because it was being held by that weird sound, probably. Oh, my God. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. There so you go. So they couldn't act on it. There you go. So... Fantastic Daily, this is channel, also claimed to have been freaked out by what he saw on his camera, and he stopped playing the audio and believed he would attract black eye. He the audio he believed that would attract black eyed children. So I mean, the worst thing about this is like 
even if this isn't a black eyed child, mm-hmm. someone still walked up to his porch and stood there and stared at the door for an hour. Okay, now I'm like, I'm telling the story. And I'm still getting chills because I'm thinking about just someone standing at my front doors for Looking. An, an hour. Yeah. Not doing anything. Wasn't there a case like that recently? I think it happened in the last, like, two years. Like, someone had one of those little ring doorbells. Oh, yes. Remember? And a girl just came up to the door, and they didn't know why she was there. They were actually worried for her. They were like, is this woman okay? Yes. She walked up to our door and did something strange, and then kind of, like, walked away and walked back. And I think they found her. I think she was, like, ill, but still weird. Yeah. that that See, that stuff reminds me. Okay. Story time. (laughs) <laughs> so i was living in, at this um one apartment complex mm-hmm. um our apartment was on the first floor but you still had to walk upstairs to get into it mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it was late at night i was sitting in the living room watching tv and i hear a knock at the door actually no i did not hear a knock at the door i heard somebody tried to open the door i heard someone try to open the door so that's happened here really but it's been someone who was like uh inebriated and didn't know like where they were like they got off on the elevator on the wrong floor yeah um but still it it, it's creepy yeah and they were trying to open the door they tried to put their key into my lock and everything and you know i'm not opening the door for anybody exactly because it's late at night and i'm just like uh can i help you through the door. Did you look through the people? I did. It was some old lady. Oh. No. She was lost. No. Yeah. Mm -mm. What'd she say? Did she say something creepy? She's like something. (laughs) I don't remember what she said, but I did not like it. She she said something about, I'm trying to get into my house. I'm like, okay, man, well, this is not your house. Uh, Could you please go away? And then she still tried to get in. I'm like, okay, if you don't leave, I'm calling the cops. So she leaves. But then she comes back. Of course. <laughs> and I'm like, seriously, I will call the cops if you do not leave my porch. And like, she tried to unlock the door again. I was like, okay. This yeah. Is- one time somebody like knocked on my door and they were very insistent. Mm. And so um, finally I recognized though, it was an older woman who lives here. I recognized her voice. And when I like, cause I have my little slide lock, mm. I like opened it and like peered over. And she was just like, this lady says she lives here. And I'm like, well, I live here by myself. She's like, so I don't know where she lives. She's like, do you know if she lives on this floor? And I'm like, I have no idea. But apparently they had found someone wandering around the building and she was just confused. And like, we have a lot of older people who live here um, because of its like proximity to like where like the hospital that's down the street and stuff like that. But um, it's just like, she was just like, she says she lives here. And I was just like, she doesn't live here. Mm -mm. It's just like... (laughs) Things like that is just unsettling, especially at night, and you know no way supposed to be knocking it. It was the middle of the night, yeah. No way supposed to be knocking at your door that night. Nope, nope. Especially if you're not expecting company. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm one of those people who doesn't believe, listen, you better call me before you just show up. Please. Especially if it's like 10 o'clock at night, and I don't know who's trying to get in my house. No, thank you. Well, I, I mean, I always tell you the story of that, that time that that guy died here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Well, people on yeah, the I know. podcast you haven't can, heard it. I know. It, I wasn't stopping you. <laughs> you look like you wanted me no, not no, to no, say no. it. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> um, we had someone who, I remember the time period when this happened because it was when there was that really big, uh, what's it called? It was the, the big hurricane that happened oh, in Puerto right. Rico. Okay. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah. And we left. I left my apartment in the morning and it smelled weird. And so I went downstairs and I like told the front desk people, I'm like, there's something weird upstairs. So apparently while I was at work, other people complained too. And they pretty much went from like apartment to apartment, opening them up the doors and trying to figure out what it was. And one of the lo- like one of the people down the hall had died. Um, that night I come home from work like six o'clock, you know, normal time. And I'm here. And actually, no, that was when I worked a place until like nine, 10 o'clock at night. So I came back here and I stayed up late usually because I didn't go to work until like 11 in the morning. So it's like three in the morning and there's a knock on my door and you've been in my apartment. So you can see that when someone walks by the door, you can see like feet mm-hmm. and I did not see feet. And I looked at the door and I was, lo- I was like, I looked back and I went, no. And then I proceeded <laughs> to ignore it. <laughs> because if someone's standing at my door knocking on it, I should be able to see their feet because of the light that's always on in our hallway. And I could not see any feet. And I don't know if it was a ghost. I don't know if it was somebody playing a joke, but I'm not opening the door at three in the morning. You don't get to come haunt me, buddy. Oh, three in the morning. Hell no. That's the witching hour. It's the witching hour. So I was like, you don't get to come haunt me, buddy. You better go to Puerto Rico with your family. (laughs) Oh, like, mm-mm, not today. Oh, goodness. Okay. But is there anything else to yeah, know about yeah, yeah. Black Eyed Children? Okay, so there, there are many people who, like I said, explain, um, some people have even, like, tried to theorize, like, you know, explain away Brian's account from his first account mm-hmm. by saying maybe the kids are just acting a little weird. And you just, you know, we're a little freaked out because, you know, two kids wearing hoodies. I don't I don't know. But the... It, Look, I don't know. It was, okay. it was at night. You know, hell, people, people, I mean, I'm a little jumpy at night. If someone tries to approach me when I walk out of here, I'm just like, mm, what do you want? Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, but I mean, you might, people might actually try and rob you around here. This so. is true. <laughs> I live on the cusp of like right in between where it's all right and it's not so all right. <laughs> I walk in the all right part. <laughs> um, so yeah, there, like, there are other urban ledges that, you know, there are many theories about them. Like, like there. I said that wrong. Anyway, but like, like, like other urban letters. There, there are okay. other theories. There's like, so they're featured in other urban legends. No, like, th- like other, like urban legends. There, there are theories that explain away. You know, oh yeah, yeah, why, yeah. Okay. why this is happening to somebody. Okay, that's why I said it wrong. <laughs> that's okay. So this one is like it's just ranging from like kids acting weird, uh, to kids wearing like maybe black contacts. It is a thing. That's People a thing. do do that. I'm not sure if Black Contacts were, you know, out in like 1998. Hmm. As in, like I try to Google. I I, I googled I mean, it when yes. Contacts were invented, but I couldn't <sighs> get Black Contacts. Well, I know that that movie with Vin Diesel was that Pitch Black. That came out in the early 2000s. Mm. To the actual, exactly 2000. Yeah. So they had to have existed before then because okay. he wore black contacts in the movie. Okay, so there you go. It could have been like just black contacts and kids just being weird and trying to spook somebody. So they're just saying that kids were doing like the people were doing with the clown thing in 2016. Yeah, yeah, basically. Just trying to frighten people. Exactly. I'm and then just, at least I don't have to worry about them banging on my windows. Exactly. And uh, like, hundred feet in the air. The thing that just upsets me is upsetting is that like they try to hitchhike too. And then you just. I'm be honest. I don't <laughs> believe in picking up hitchhikers. I know that was a thing in the 70s and 80s. I've done it once, but I've only been a part of it once, and it was during the daytime, and I was with somebody else. I picked up a hitchhiker once. That's what. 
Was it nighttime? It was during the day. Okay, so it's, it's yeah, yeah. It, it was actually two kids, and I was just dropping them off. Okay, they were two teenagers. They were older. They were like seventeen, oh, eighteen. They didn't, I didn't get cursed. Okay. Okay. I mean, we picked up some lady who was heading down to the uh, mountain. She just wanted to ride down the road. She was backpacking across the the mountain trail that goes oh, all the way down. The, yeah, she was backpacking across the Appalachian Trail, and apparently there's like a spot where you can come out of the Appalachian oh, yeah, Trail they're, they're and you're money. just in like across the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she just asked us to take us from like one spot to the other. And I, I was had, like, that's not a big deal. Yeah, I had a friend. Uh, she did that, and she I think it was like a six month. It's apparently a thing people do. I didn't realize that they travel across the entire like eastern seaboard. Because that goes all the way up to like Maine or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Not me. I'm not a. I'm not a hiker. I like to walk, but I'm not going to do that. Um. (laughs) So, black-eyed children do appear in uh, in tons of creepypastas. I'm sure. So. If you guys want to, I'm sure there's some. Some they featured on Our No Sleep at some point. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's all I have right now for Black Eyed Children. If you, like I said, if you guys want to hear more, I would definitely post some videos on TikTok uh, of me reading some Black Eyed Children encounters, as well as my children's encounters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> encounters with my children. <laughs> I would like to say thank you for listening. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. And also, one thing I wanted to mention before we end the podcast today is that if you go to Anchor.fm slash when killers get caught you can leave a voice message for us and we would love to talk to you we would love to feature you on the podcast respond to questions or things of that nature you just have to click the little uh it's like a speech bubble that has a plus on it Mm, and you make an anchor account and you can leave us a message and if we get interesting ones or stories or questions we will absolutely respond to you on the podcast and you can become a part of our podcast right. for forever and i think uh there's also an option where you can just type a message can't you i i mean you can always email us and this is true you can always email us if you don't want to talk uh send a voice message but you know i know i'm weird with voice messages so <laughs> you know what i want to hear people we have fans from all around the world so uh, yeah if you want to talk to us talk to us please yeah but like i said if you did want to just send an email you can always it's caughtpodcast at gmail.com. We will respond to you that way, too. So thank you so much for listening. I am Brittany Ransom. And I'm Brian. <laughs> and uh, you have a good evening or day wherever you happen to be.